Hi, you're listening to Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. We're in a series about worship called The Gift Giver and His Gathered Guests. How we worship shapes us, and one of the things we miss out, especially in Western Church, is how to worship a triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Today, John gives us some important background on Trinitarian worship to encourage us. Here's a message called, How Great is Our Triune God, Part 1. We saw last week that where Adam and Eve are hiding in fear with their shame and their guilt of their sin, and God says, Adam, where are you? Where are you in relationship to me now that you've broken my covenant? I'm coming to exercise the curse of the covenant. You've come under judgment. Where are you in relationship to me, Adam? And Adam, rightly so, expecting to receive judgment, the gift giver God meets Adam's sin and rebellion with grace and peace and makes a promise to him. These unexpected words of promise. And so the good news is that when God's people speak, when they call upon the name of the Lord, when they invoke his rescue, he listens and responds. He will not violate, he says, David says, his covenant. He will keep his steadfast love with his people. And so when we call upon him, he comes with this gracious greeting and he delivers us from our enemies when we call. And then it flows from that to the opening of acclamation. So you have invocation, you have salutation, and the third thing we're going to see this morning is you have acclamation. Acclamation. So what is acclamation? This big liturgical word, you know, acclamation. Um, listen to the dictionary. Uh, the dictionary defines acclamation like this. It is strong and enthusiastic approval or praise. It is loud, enthusiastic approval, typically to welcome or honor someone or something. An acclamation, it says, and this was interesting because I went back to Noah Webster's dictionary from 1828 to get a little bit of a more, uh, an older uh, definition. Listen to what Noah Webster said. He said, an acclamation is a shout of applause uttered by a multitude, uttered with fervency, somewhat resembling a song, sometimes accompanied with applauses, clapping of hands, which are given by the hands. Having been greeted by the gift giver with grace and peace, these unexpected gifts from the gift giver, grace and peace, the two greatest gifts that we need, right? It is understandable that God's gathered guests would respond with fervent, heartfelt, enthusiastic praise to God. You're not expecting to hear grace and peace, right? And you get this, and wow, really, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the minister immediately lifts his hands, praises God, and he says, blessed be God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the congregation joins in praise by responding, and blessed be his kingdom now and forever. Amen. I want to tell you, those are not throwaway words to sound like you're in some kind of high church fancy worship service. This is fervent, heartfelt, enthusiastic praise to God. So we don't come to church after having just invoked God's name 
And he graciously comes to us and announces to us grace and peace. And then we go, and blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and blessed be his kingdom now and forevermore. Amen. There's just something wrong with that. What I envision for our church is to be so overcome with the welcome of God and grace and peace that we fervently, with acclamation, remember, it is a shout of applause by a multitude with fervency, that we be so overcome with the fact that we are in sin, yet God greets us with the greatest gifts ever of grace and peace, this place erupts. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh, blessed be his kingdom now and forever. Amen. Maybe the band just start busting it out right there. Right? I mean, there's something wrong with us when our hearts are not powerfully with fervency moved by this welcome from God, and we just sit there, oh, blessed be God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, okay, blah, 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 blah. There's just something wrong with that. That's not how we respond to gifts that we do not deserve and would have never expected. The size and blessing of the gift must be met with an appropriate response. And silence, at that point, we need to have silence in worship. Don't get me wrong. There needs to be a time where we're just silent and we reflect. But there are times in the service where we need to shout. And we need to to applause our great triune God for coming to us in such grace and peace. We need to be overwhelmed by that. And so for this morning, what I want to do is make four important observations about this opening acclamation to help you understand why it is we're doing this. So here's the first point. The opening acclamation captures and portrays the heartfelt gratitude that the gospel creates in the hearts of his gathered guests on account of his gracious greeting. That's what it does. What is the liturgy? Listen, the liturgy is an enactment in which the church corporately together proclaims the whole gospel drama. We're telling a story every week. And it is the gospel drama that is rehearsed that leads our hearts to praise and glorify God for his grace and peace. The gifts that he comes to give us. I want you to see this. Look, turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is reflecting on the universal cosmic scope of the salvation of God that he's given to his people. And so as he reflects on this, he's just blown away by the good news of it. And so as he begins this letter to the Ephesians, he erupts in spontaneous blessing, this acclamation of God, the triune God. And so look at this, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There is God's greeting, salutation. And what is Paul's response? Blessed be God. You see that. We're not making up the church service. (laughs) It's coming from the Bible. This is where it comes from. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he goes on to enumerate blessing after blessing that we have in union with Christ. Three times in this spontaneous acclamation of praise to God, Paul says it is all to the glory of his grace. Look what he says in verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Look at verse 12. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Look at verse 14. Who is the guarantor, the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. This man is so overcome by the blessings that are ours in Christ, he is spontaneously erupting in an acclamation to God. In fact, he's so carried away in emotion. How do you know this? Because of his Greek. Did you know verses 3 to 14 in the Greek is one uninterrupted sentence? Paul is so carried away, he can't quit writing. And then he gets after verse 14. He's like, okay, well, maybe I'll stop here. And then he goes in verses 15 to 23, one more full sentence that never stops in the Greek. This man is captivated. It's like going to the 4th of July and watching a fireworks show explode. That's what this man's going through. I can't, but here's another firework. Here's another firework. Here's another firework. Blessed be God. Blessed be God. To the praise of his glory, he is just swept up in this great work of salvation. And so this is the gospel drama that leads our hearts to praise and glorify God like Paul for his grace and peace. Walter Marshall, the great 17th century uh, Scottish pastor, in his book, The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification, probably the greatest book ever written on sanctification, he says, this is the doctrine which glorifies God. He's talking about the gospel. This is the doctrine which glorifies God and abases the creature, which is a mark of its truth. Do you know what the great end and design of the gospel is? The great end and design of the gospel is not to set forth and display the prominence of man. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, Paul says, It is by grace that we are saved through faith, not as a result of works, but as a gift of God, so that no one may boast. It's not to exalt man. In Romans chapter 3, verse 27, Paul reveals that God justifies sinners freely by grace so that all boasting is excluded. He says, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. In Romans chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, Paul tells us this. Listen to what Paul says. Now, to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. You do your work, you earn your wage, you merit your paycheck. Your paycheck, as much as you wish, is not a gift, right? Paul says, but to the one who does not 
work but believes. So whatever belief is, it's not a work. He's already told you it's a gift. Believing is not a work that you do. It is a gift given to you by grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to unite you to Jesus and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. God does not owe salvation to us as our just do. It is a gift. There's nothing in man that moved God to save him. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ dying for you does not make God love you. God loved you while you're a sinner. Therefore, Christ died for you. Do you see the difference? There's nothing in us that moves God to save us. And so the great end and design of the gospel is to display the greatness of his grace and mercy, his gifts of grace and peace, to display the greatness of Christ, Christ crucified and risen for us. Why? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. He saves us by this grace so that in the coming ages, God the Father might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's remarkable. And so with the Apostle Paul, we praise God saying, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever." Amen. That's the opening acclamation. Second, the theology expressed in the opening acclamation is thoroughly grounded in the teaching of Scripture. It's thoroughly grounded in it. Even though the opening acclamation that we have with this historical acclamation is not Scripture, it expresses the teaching revealed in Scripture. We find acclamations in both the Old and New Testament. We just heard one here from Paul. Listen to 2 Samuel chapter 22. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, we have the song of David. And 2 Samuel chapter 22 is really nearly identical to Psalm 18. And this song, this song of David, David is addressing the words of this song directly to the Lord himself. And he's singing these words to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from Saul. So in response to the Lord's salvation of King David, David erupts and praises the Lord. He acclaims the Lord, and he says, the Lord lives, and here it is, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. In Psalm 66, verse 20, the psalm giving an acclamation of praise to God, he says, blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Listen to David again in Psalm 68, verse 19. He gives this acclamation. He says, blessed be the Lord, I love this, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. 
daily bears us up. He is our salvation. Blessed be the Lord. Now, carrying over from the Old Testament, we find more acclamations. We come to the gospel, Luke's gospel, and we find Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And he's praising God in the gospel of Luke for, the, for God having provided salvation for his people. This is always the response in the, in the scriptures of God's people. When God comes and he, and he saves his people, he responds to his people, saves them. It's always the response of blessed be God, blessed be God, blessed be God. The acclamation to praise God. And so God has provided salvation. He says that he has remembered his holy covenant, the oath he swore to Abraham, the gospel in the Old Testament. God is a promise-keeping God. He has steadfast love. He keeps his covenant promise. And so Zechariah, reflecting on the covenant of Abraham being fulfilled in the coming of Christ to save his people, Luke says, listen, he is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Don't miss the fact that Luke said he was filled with the Holy Spirit and was led to acclamation. There is no acclamation where there's no Holy Spirit. Zechariah's prophecy is used in many historic liturgies in the church as a hymn. It's called the Benedictus. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. It's given this Latin designation, Benedictus, because the first word from Zechariah's prophecy is blessed. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Benedictus, bless, blessing, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Now, there are three places in the New Testament letters where the, you find acclamation. We've already looked one this morning, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul breaks forth into praise of the triune God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ to the praise of his glory. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, the apostle Paul has an acclamation. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ Listen to this, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. That's a reason to bless God, isn't it? Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter begins his letter praising God for his great mercy and bringing believers to life. The doctrine of regeneration, we are dead in sin and the Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts and causes us to be born again by the Holy Spirit. And then he gives us a living hope through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Peter's reflecting on this. And listen now, he opens his letter with this acclamation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What an acclamation. And so this opening acclamation that we have in church Sunday after Sunday and the liturgy is grounded thoroughly in the teaching of Scripture. Here's the third thing I want you to see, and this is so important. 
It's important to note the Trinitarian emphasis in this acclamation. Listen to this acclamation carefully. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This acclamation declares to everyone publicly, and then we make this acclamation that our faith and worship are self-consciously and definitively Trinitarian. We were praying this morning in prime time, and I asked Yvonne, I said, Yvonne, would you close us in prayer? And I was so deeply moved and encouraged in prime time, because from the very opening of her prayer to the very closing of her prayer, it was self-consciously and definitively Trinitarian. So happy to hear that prayer. That's our faith. That's our God. He is a trinity. As Christians, we affirm that God is one in essence, but we also affirm with equal zeal that this one God exists in three persons. You see, whenever God acts in both creation and in redemption, there are three persons on the stage acting. It's not just God the Father does something and then Jesus does something somewhere and then, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit does something. Every time God acts in both creation and redemption, it is the Godhead acting together. It's a beautiful symphony together, working together. One God in three persons. And so we have to remember that everything that God does in creation and redemption, it comes from the Father, in the Son, by the Holy Spirit, without division. And so this opening acclamation of God's gathered guests, it reflects the Trinitarian framework that we find throughout the three apostolic acclamations that I just took you through from Peter and Paul. If you listen carefully, both Paul and Peter's acclamations were self-consciously and definitively Trinitarian. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Trinitarian prayer. That's Trinitarian praise. This opening acclamation reflects this. We see from the apostolic acclamations how the early Christians in the first century, when these letters were written, we're adapting the prayer forms from the Old Testament that you heard from the Psalms in 2 Samuel. They were carrying over these acclamations, these forms of prayer, <clears throat> and they were identifying the God of Israel as the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. New Testament believers in worship continue to emphasize blessing God, acclamation, and all the more so for what he has done in Christ. Because if you listen to both Paul and Peter's acclamations carefully, it was all centered in Christ. This is very, very, very important. And people think about the Trinity, they go, oh, this is just walking off the map into dangerous and unchartable areas of pointless speculation. Let's just move on and get on with it. We don't need to think about this trinity stuff no 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 the trinitarian nature of god is foundational to the true worship of god in the church no trinity no worship no real god just an idol and a false god i want you to listen to the opening words of the athanasian creed from the sixth century 
Whosoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic, that is universal, the Catholic faith, which faith except everyone do keep whole and undefiled without doubt, he shall perish everlastingly. So what is this faith that we have to keep to not perish but to be saved? Listen to the creed. The Catholic universal faith is this, that we, listen, here it is, worship liturgy, there it is, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. The 6th century church said, oh, the doctrine of the Trinity has everything to do with your salvation and with true worship. I want you to listen that even though God as a trinity is a mystery, he is not unknowable. It's so important to understand that. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called, How Great is Our Triune God? Part 1. More from the Gift Giver series coming up next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.